0: is oh. Glory to the Lord. I know God wants to do some things in us and through us. And if we'll just be yielded, He'll do just that. Glory to God. You can be seated. Hallelujah. 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 Do I have that Bible confession up back there? I like doing this because if we're not careful we let so much negative come out of our mouth. If I didn't have bad luck I wouldn't have any luck at all. Nothing good ever happens to me. Just on and on and on. And we curse our own selves. And we don't need to have to do that. Amen? So let's do this this morning. Raise your Bible up. If it's on your phone, that's your e-version. Raise it up. Say it with me: this is my Bible, it's God's holy word. I am what it says I am. I I can have what it says I can have. have have. So I boldly confess. confess. My mind is renewed. My My body is healed. 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 I'm saved by God's grace.
1: grace.
0: And live by His Spirit. Amen and amen. If you want to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. This is either going to be one of the shortest sermons or one of the longest, but it's going to be good. Yes, sir. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul asked a question, really God is asking a question. Paul wrote it down. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now let me give you the Wilson paraphrase of that. Should we just keep on living the same old lifestyle of sin? I mean, after all, God's grace is freely given, right? That's the Wilson paraphrase. But then God answers that, and the Apostle Paul writes, God forbid... And in other words, absolutely no. Now, let, let me say this, and I know I've said it before, but somebody needs to hear it again. God doesn't want us to not have sin in our life because God's just this big heavenly killjoy and, and fuddy duddy that just doesn't want you to have any fun. Is there joy? Is there pleasure in sin? Yeah, the Bible says there is. For a season. And then it turns and bites you like a rattlesnake. God doesn't want us to have sin in our life. Why? Because it destroys and it's destructive. So Paul begins to go through in Romans chapter 6. And he begins to really kind of lay out an argument. Or lay out what God says about having victory over sin. And the Spirit of God simply lays it out how we can live a lifestyle that is free from habitual, continual sin. If I wanted to teach for about an hour, we could go into 1 John and we could go into several other verses in different places. As long as you're in this life, there's the potential for you and me to mess up, and I don't know about you, but I guarantee you, since I got saved, I've sinned. Amen? Amen? We all have. But what God tells us is that we can live a victory over continual habitual lifestyle of sin. And the goal, as Paul said, is you know, I haven't attained, but I am pressing towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. You know, it's kind of like, you know, well, I, I I may not have arrived, but I left the station. Amen. So this is the goal that we want to go to. And th- there's a, a truth that God begins to lay out in these first several verses. And, and I'm, I'm not going to read all of them because we'd wind up reading the entire chapter. And I, I just don't feel led to do that this morning. That's your homework. Go home and read all of Romans 6. But the first truth, y'all, is that God wants us to be born again. We have to be born again. You can't win victory over sin by just, okay, I'm going to keep all the rules. I'm going to do that. No, see, they couldn't do that in the Old Testament. You can't do it now. You've got to be born again. Where Paul, when he gets into this, where he's talking about being baptized into Jesus Christ, That entire teaching Paul is giving there about being dead spiritually, alive in our spirit, man. And that's what that whole thing of being baptized into Christ is. And it's all related to this. There's got to be a salvation experience. And y'all, I'm not trying to preach hard this morning, but it's just, you know, there's a lot of times, and I I know because I had that in my life and my own experience, but we, we have... A conviction experience without a salvation experience well how do you know the difference in that when you get born again your desires change your heart changes stuff on the inside of you is different how you want to do things is different if you just get under conviction you're sorry you got caught I don't know about you but when I was a teenager I you know, I was, I was doing a whole lot of things I wasn't supposed to be doing. And I wasn't convicted that I shouldn't do it. I just didn't want to get caught. Now is not the time to raise your hand. You know, But it, th- this is what God has for us. You know, we, we've got to be born again. And, you know, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus asked that whole thing of Jesus. You know, how can somebody be born again? How can you enter the second time into the womb? Well, the answer is you don't. He's not talking about a physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth. And something that's hard for us to comprehend is that literally when we get born again, what happens is our spirit man dies and then we're resurrected all in a twinkling of an eye. And on the inside, we're changed. We become one spirit with the Lord. We become a new creature in Christ Jesus Paul said, and I don't think I've got that written down, but in Romans 10, 9, that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we shall be saved. You've got to be born again. So this is what it means to be baptized into Christ. That our old man is crucified, we're dead. But by the resurrection power of God, we're born again. Now the second thing, it really God kind of stirred in me. God wants us to experience victory or dominion over sin, but it's not automatic. Turn to somebody and say it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen automatically. In verse twelve, it says, there, therefore do not let sin reign, which means rule. In your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Therefore, do not let sin. Now, if you go back, you don't have to go to the next one. That's okay. When when, when I was in English class, that's what they tell you is an understood subject. And the understood subject of that sentence where it says, therefore, do not let sin... The understood subject is you. So you do not let sin. God doesn't just force anything. Even once we surrender our will, even once we ask Jesus into our heart, you still have a free will. And God doesn't force anything, He doesn't just take over. You're just incapable of doing anything. Besides what God wants you to do, it'd it'd be nice sometimes, but God doesn't take away your free will. So we are the ones who have to do what we're supposed to do, and how do you do that? Well, if you keep on reading, it just says that whosoever you yield to, that's who's going to dominate you. That's who's going to control you. It's whoever you yield to, whether you yield to sin or whether you yield to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And there's sometimes, I think what we want is, you know, we want this this, this powerful spiritual, and sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. This powerful spiritual push in us where God just, you know, takes over. And sometimes you just don't feel spiritual. I mean, you can have the sin of anger come up in you and you just want to lay hands on somebody suddenly. You know, well, you know, it it doesn't feel real spiritual to just turn around and walk off or clamp your jaws shut so you don't say anything. That doesn't feel spiritual, but sometimes that's the most spiritual thing you can do because you're yielding to the Spirit of God rather than to the sin. Can you say amen? amen? In verse 19, Paul just simply says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Now, in other words, Paul is just saying, I'm putting this on a level you can grasp. Why? Because you're just still kind of carnal and you're still kind of fleshly. And, and, and if I try to get two spirits along you, I'm going to lose you. That's what Paul's saying. So instead of yielding to anger or hate, be obedient and pray for your enemies and those that despitefully use and persecute you. Instead of going on you know, to give in to the desire for alcohol or some kind of drug, give in to the gentle pull of the Holy Spirit. You know, the greatest tie you're ever going to get is in Jesus. Instead of giving in to sexual immorality, draw close to God. Go read your Bible. Go pray. In verse 20, it says that when we were the servant of, uh, of sin, in other words, before you got saved, you were free from righteousness. Y'all, a sinner can do something good, but it doesn't make them righteous. Adolf Hitler bound to have done something kind of good in his life one time. Helped an old lady across the street or, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure he did something good, but it didn't make him righteous. When we're a servant of sin, but when we become a servant of righteousness, we put away the sin. And there's a truth. Pull up verse 22, Jeff. But now... Being set, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. There, there's a truth in that because Jesus is in us, because of Christ in us. When we become yielded to God, we have the fruit of right standing and holiness which just simply means we're, you know, you're not living in a continuous lifestyle of sin the message that I really believe God stirred in me out of Romans 6 for this morning is this is to receive Jesus reject the sin of the world allow God's word to grow in me And there's something powerful that God begins to do on the inside of me when I do that. And this is where this morning is really kind of different. Because I think a lot of times, y'all, we go to church. And in our mind, it's just an ordinary Sunday. Sunday should never be ordinary worship service should never be just ordinary. But we can. We can get accustomed even to being in the presence of God. Have you ever really thought about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt? I mean, they grew so comfortable that even though God covered them with a cloud by day to protect them from the blazing sun even though God provided a fire at night a supernatural fire that gave warmth to the whole camp even though God supernaturally brought water out of a rock even though God fed them daily with manna that had to be gathered every day except for the Sabbath. So many supernatural things. And on top of that, you had about two million people. When you count women and children that traveled in that exodus. And you realize that their clothes never wore out And nobody was sick. They didn't have to have an infirmary and team of doctors. Nobody was sick. They were comfortable and just got used to the presence of God. So it was just almost mundane. Just an ordinary time, just another ordinary day wandering through the wilderness. With God supernaturally providing. And all the while, what God wanted was to draw close to them. To fellowship with them. And they wouldn't do it. And that's what God wants to do with us. God doesn't want us to have just an ordinary Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Now I know it's been a little while since the outpouring at Asbury College or University. But I watched that again, and thank you Kim for letting me borrow your video. But I watched that again. And I want us to watch at least a part of this. And I really believe this is what God wants to do in you and in me. So I want you just to watch. Jeff, I'll tell you when to stop. Jeff, if you can, let me turn these lights on. You still have the presentation software on? Yeah. You probably got the screen
1: blacked out.
2: Right
0: No,
1: A chapel at Asbury University in Kentucky turned into something far more. Students began repenting and praying at the altar and has continued unbroken. People are traveling to the university to join in this move of God. And the Holy Spirit spoke to
2: me through his words and said, I forgive you. The lawn in front of Hughes Auditorium was covered with thousands
1: of people from all over the country. We've seen people healed come out of wheelchairs. People can pass be free. Flames from the Asbury University awakening have spread like wildfire, and it shows no signs of stopping. more happens here is
2: school, so where we're going is so (laughs) little. We are a Christian university, and our students, their experience, their discipleship, how do we come beside them and commission them to be the the ambassadors and change agents for, for Jesus that is very fundamental to our mission. Part of the DNA of Asbury is around surrender at the and giving all of ourselves to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So chapel is really formative in our body, like mm-hmm. how we come together to begin something. A notification pops up in the group chat. I see on Instagram story something about people still worshiping. I start seeing college
1: students heads peek back in, and people running back in. Honestly, I was like, oh my goodness, like this can't be happening.
2: Like people were just there praying and just being there in the presence of God. So we just continued. On my way back from lunch, I stopped in and sure enough, I saw students and I noticed that there was there was a really sweet presence. and I saw tears in the eyes and I was kind of curious like, what's going on? And I ran into our President Brown. And, We were like, okay, we should just cancel our meetings. this afternoon. Like, whatever's going on with our students, we want to be present to it, so. Well, about 1 p.m., 2 p.m., that group got bigger. And then it got bigger. And I thought, maybe I should send an email out. In the middle of my class, the one class I did go to, I got an email from the president. And he was like, Come join in and see what God is doing in Hughes. I remember one of my friends ran to different classrooms, classes that were going on, and were like, Revival's happening. You have to come see what God is doing.
1: We met a professor as we were telling people who decided to cancel his two o'clock class, and he said, I have to cancel my class. I'm I'm, I'm just gonna keep going. But we also humbly repent because we would be astray. So we moved into times of just reading scripture, we moved into times of confession. I thought there's no way
2: that God can forgive me. But God He showed up. Like the whole room confessing sin. I literally, stand up, I confess, addiction to, whatever, and the whole room saying, Christ's blood forgives you. That's when several of us, we didn't even say anything, but we looked at each other and we were like, okay, this is special. This is something different. I sat down and I just cried. And I prayed to God. It was my first time praying to him since freshman year because before I came to Asbury, I'd lost my faith. I just felt at peace. Like, I felt like I could relax. Um, I felt like God was telling me, this is what you've been missing for the past couple of years, and it's time to come back. It's been just a really hard couple of years, and I just felt like the Lord was releasing me of a lot of bitterness and anger that I've had, just about all kinds of stuff, even some of it towards God.
1: You know, I had students come to me and say, "Not
2: really sure what I believe, but I want to know God." We're just like in it, like minute by minute, hour by hour. I just always had the next hour, people will leave. Oh, the next hour, people will probably leave. They just never did, and I didn't want them to. This encounter, this we had this beautiful encounter where I can join with the presence of the Lord. Dave Thomas, he's a pastor who's very well known in this area, said, "You really need to think about." opening this up throughout the night. Uh, students are gonna stay here all night. I remember writing the articles for the newspapers in Hughes because I was just like, I don't wanna leave right now. Like, I felt like I can't, I couldn't. It's not that anyone was like, oh, let's see how long we can last, let's see how, you know, like we just didn't wanna go.
1: Even with all the duties that we had to like go throughout the day, it was just something like, people wanted to come back into Hughes. So I was there like two to midnight the first day. I stayed until about 11 or 12. And I think I was there until 2
2: Like, that's day one. I came over. Sure enough, there were still people there. And you know, from that point on, there was just continual worship and continual prayer. And if it's <coughs> it takes care on its own. We have no sophistication of systems because it was just as persons. Then that night, the room's full of like, University of Kentucky students are coming. Other local schools. And then more students came, and more students came, and we did some testimonies, and some more content, sharing time, and that just grew. Honestly,
1: it was moving so fast, and it was so intense. We're like, we should probably figure this out. So we sophisticated. And have this like 14 that we'd meet literally in like a storage closet, mm-hmm. okay? So that's what we're doing, it's the big picture of where we're going. As we got together that first time, it wasn't a plan meeting, it was like, Hey, we need to respond to this, and, and, and as Dr. Brown said, give this some structure.
2: And yet, there was always a sense of like, How do we maintain order but also keep our hands off so that whatever the spirit seeks to do. Uh, that's going to unfold in a way that doesn't have our thumbprint on it. Most of the time we just feel like out of this out way. We just really want to steward what Jesus is doing through our students. This Saturday I'm released from a sin that I've been struggling with for a little over a year now. Hello. I had my skepticism at first. I thought this is just a group of people that like to worship or this is just a very bit of catharsis, and then we move on. It wasn't until about that third day that I realized this is more than human intervention. Just the scale and the length of everything made me realize how the Holy Spirit was moving in Asbury and across all of its tendrils of social media. Someone took a video, and they got posted on TikTok, and it really just like, blew up from there. And that's really when the first whispers started to pop up of, is this the next Asbury Revival? We've had revival-like events in the 90s and the early 2000s. So it's not unusual in our community uh, to just have a multi-day outpouring of worship. The most famous, of course, being 1970.
1: It started at 10 o'clock yesterday morning. Chapel was scheduled to end at 11 o'clock yesterday morning. It didn't end at 11 o'clock yesterday morning. It didn't end at 11 o'clock last night. It didn't end at 11 o'clock this morning. In fact, as they and I with the air, it was still going on. Let's have a
2: look and a look. When the historical accounts of how that revival emerged are presented, it's always within the backdrop of. Very tumultuous decade, the, the '60s, and we see assassinations, and we see war, and we see
1: kind of dynamic and massive cultural change. You got to remember, when we were in Vietnam. There was major protests going on at University of Kentucky. We had had at Asbury four presidents in four years. We were a broken campus. We were a broken country. We were a broken world. I was here in the morning that the revival broke out. I was a senior in high school. Uh, I had a job on campus as a janitor. And somebody bussed in to the library and hollered at the top of the horses and said, Y'all need to get over to the chapel. The Holy Spirit is moving. I had a restaurant called the Dynamite. I was right across the street making honey buns. Students would come in right after chapel, and I would sell 100 honey buns in 10 minutes. But no one came. When I walked up those steps and opened those doors, I saw the students lined up against the wall all the way back to the back field of the auditorium, waiting to get to the microphone to share their testimonies. I just stepped in, and I wasn't moved by immediately. I was frustrated to be honest, because I let not sell And I remember the speaker, and I knew him very well, Pastor Mills. Custer was a World War II hero, a Marine, a big China of a man, a uh, rough voice, you, know, you listen to him. And so when Custer said, we're going to do testimonies, get in line, you get in line. President of Place class got up and said, I'm a phony, I didn't want to be here. He was so in luck with his confession. Opened and opened it and brought the house down, so to speak, and, and opened up the, the heavens. My pastor actually was one of those that came and gave his testimony and his wife and confessed. I mean, they had the largest church in the world. You could feel God. They had to say, come on down. The bell's about the ring, but the altar's open. It's like a stampede, just one in the twos and threes. I was in awe i mean, just map And it went out for 144 hours to take months
2: They did ultimately move it to a different location, and they wanted to give specific attention to how Asbury commissions students to go out. Go out, tell the story.
1: So that was an incredible
2: time. And world
1: changers were formed? I can give you stories of people whose lives were formed by that and they changed the world. It was an awakening, literally, at that time. It was, a, I think, the beginning of the Jesus movement.
2: Mm-hmm. Me and my family drove about 18 and a half hours to get
1: we just really saw that God was doing something really great here, and we really wanted to come and just experience it. I kind of have been seeing everything online, and I decided last night at 1 a.m. I would just make the drive, uh, and then right after this, I'm driving right back to Michigan uh, to make my 11 a.m. class. There is a sweet family who drove 35 hours from Mexico just for me to prayer with their kid, and they got back in their car and started driving home. We've always heard about the Asus Revival or the Great Awakening and the Revival, all that we've heard about. And so, you know, certainly in our times,
2: there's a revival that has a left So we found, you know, why do we just be a part and witness the greatest move of God that, that's going on in there? We're excited. We're excited to see it spreading
1: all over America and the nations of the earth. God is here. God is here. just working right now. Come get yourself here with me. I am absorbing it how lot. how many people? can't even get in to Hughes Auditorium, so they're overflowing across the
2: street to the two chapels over there. We had lines of people around campus that made it hard to move around. There is no playbook for this. We went from school to a church to a mission field in a week.
0: We followed the administration. You don't think of It's not that much longer. But... Who do I yield to? Who am I yielding to? Well, you don't ever think. It doesn't even have to turn out like that. As far as that goes, if you catch that, they didn't orchestrate anything. It just began to happen. What would God do in a place out of the way? God is a movie in America. You're not going to hear it on CBN, NBC, ABC, The Prophets of Baal. Not even Fox, which is pretty much in his own game. But I don't start off just as an ordinary chapter. We can have just an ordinary Sunday. Something remarkable will begin to happen. And I'm not saying this is the way God will do it, but then you begin to call some other people and some other friends. Then they, they begin to come with you. Maybe you say, well, I'll come by and I'll pick you up. You bring them to church with you. God begins to move and God begins to stir. I'm hungry for the presence of God. And I'm going to give you an invitation this morning. If you share that same hunger, will you join me at this altar and let's just pray for a season. Let's just pray for a season. If you want to, you can stand. You don't have to. If you want to, you can come. You don't have to. But if you're hungry, there's an invitation Would you come. However God wants to do it,